God is glorious in his saints. Welcome to the Christian Saints podcast. My name is Professor Darren Ong, recording from Sepang in Malaysia. In this podcast, we explore the lives of the Christian saints from the Anglican, Roman Catholic, and Eastern Orthodox traditions. Today, we commemorate St. Anastasius the Persian. St. Anastasius was from Persia in modern-day Iran, the son of a Zoroastrian sorcerer. In his day, the Persians were the great enemy of the Christian Roman Empire. In one military campaign, the Persians were able to capture the true cross where Jesus Christ was crucified. When he encountered this cross, St. Anastasius converted to the Christian faith. He became a monk and later a martyr. Let us read an account of his story and that of his relics from the website of the Orthodox Church in America. The monk martyr Anastasius the Persian was the son of a Persian sorcerer named Bavi. As a pagan, he had the name Magundatis and served in the armies of the Persian emperor Chosroes II who, in 614, ravaged the city of Jerusalem and carried away the life-creating cross of the Lord to Persia. Great miracles occurred from the cross of the Lord, and the Persians were astonished. The heart of young Magundates was inflamed with the desire to learn more about this sacred object. Asking everyone about the Holy Cross, the youth learned that upon it, the Lord himself was crucified for the salvation of mankind. He became acquainted with the truths of the Christian faith in the city of Chalcedon, where the army of Chosroes was for a certain while. He was baptized with the name Anastasius and then became a monk and spent seven years in one of the Jerusalem monasteries living an ascetical life. Reading the lives of the holy martyrs, Saint Anastasius was inspired with the desire to imitate them. A mysterious dream, which he had on Great and Holy Saturday, the day before the resurrection of Christ, urged him to do this. Having fallen asleep after his daily tasks, he beheld a radiant man giving him a golden chalice filled with wine who said to him, Take this and drink. Draining the chalice, he felt an ineffable delight. Saint Anastasius then realized that this vision was his call to martyrdom. He went secretly from the monastery to Palestinian Caesarea. There, he was arrested for being a Christian and was brought to trial. The governor tried in every way to force Saint Anastasius to renounce Christ, threatening him with tortures and death, and promising him earthly honors and blessings. The saint, however, remained unyielding. Then they subjected him to torture, they beat him with rods, they lacerated his knees, 
They hung him up by the hands and tied a heavy stone to his feet. They exhausted him with confinement and then wore him down with heavy work in the stone quarry with other prisoners. Finally, the governor summoned Saint Anastasius and promised him his freedom if he would only say, I am not a Christian. The holy martyr replied, I will never deny my Lord before you or anyone else, neither openly nor even while asleep. No one can compel me to do this while I am in my right mind. Then by the order of the Emperor Chosroes, Saint Anastasius was strangled, then beheaded. After the death of Chosroes, the relics of the monk martyr Anastasius were transferred to Palestine to the Anastasius Monastery. The uncovering of the relics of Saint Anastasius took place in the year 638, ten years after his martyrdom. There are three traditions regarding his relics. According to the first, which is also accepted by the English historian Saint Bede, the relics were transferred to Rome during the reign of the Emperor Flavius Heraclius Augustus, reigning in the year 610 to 645, and deposited in the Greek monastery of the Three Fountains. The second tradition states that the transfer of the relics to Constantinople, also during the reign of Heraclius, took place during the time of Pope Theodore I, who may have been from Jerusalem and of Greek descent. The third tradition indicates that the relics were transferred to Venice from Constantinople in the year 1204, when the doge, Henry Dandalos, removed them and placed them in the Church of the Holy Trinity in Venice. Today, the saints' holy relics are in the Roman Catholic Church of St. Francis in Venice. They survive in the form of a headless body, clothed in the garments of his time. There are many different accounts of the martyrdom of Saint Anastasius. Let us read a scholarly summary of one of them from the article Two Foreign Saints in Palestine by Pauline Allen and Costa Simich. This is a chapter from a monograph titled Memories of Utopia, the Revision of Histories and Landscapes in Late Antiquity. From the year 581, several acts of the martyrdom of Anastasius the Persian were composed. The one we are dealing with here was seemingly written by one of the monks in the monastery outside Jerusalem, where Anastasius eventually embraced the ascetic life. The hagiographer claims to have been commissioned to write the work, which significantly opens with a summary of the Nicene Creed, rather than the Creed of Chalcedon. From the, nar from the narrative, it appears that Anastasius, like Peter the Iberian, was a foreigner, a Persian born south of modern Tehran, who later changed his birth name from Mogundat, which means created by the Magi. He himself, like his father, was a Magus and went to Seleucia Stesiphon, where he joined the army of the Shah Tosros II. About this time, in the year 614, the Persians sacked Jerusalem destroying many religious sites, but keeping the cross, 
which they took back to Persia with them. It was this encounter with the cross in Persia that introduced the Zoroastrian Anastasius to Christianity, an episode which, together with the veneration of the cross, especially in Palestine, helps to explain the centrality of this sacred relic to the entire hagiography. We also can note that the restoration of the cross by Emperor Heraclius took place in Jerusalem in 630, two years after the martyrdom of Anastasius. The march with Chosroes' army repeatedly took the troops as far as Chalcedon, which may be a utopian adumbration of Anastasius' subsequent religious life in what we suppose was a Chalcedonian monastery outside Jerusalem. When the army took a U-turn and went east to Hierapolis in eastern Syria, the saint took the opportunity to desert and take lodging with a Persian Christian there who was a jeweler. Shortly thereafter, Anastasius asked his hosts to arrange for him to be baptized. At the time when baptism was a capital offense in the region, and he was then inspired by seeing icons of martyrs in the local church. After Hierapolis, the martyr went to Jerusalem to another jeweler and was finally baptized with the permission of Modestus, who was to become the patriarch of that city for a short tenure in 630. In an interesting aside, the biographer relates that Anastasius did an eight-day retreat after his baptism before going to the monastery of St. Anastasius near Jerusalem to become a monk, probably in the year 619 to 620 CE. Here, he was taught Greek and the Psalter, combining his religious duties with looking after the kitchen and the garden, a task that reminds us of a story in John Moscus's spiritual meadow, where a newly recruited brother in Egypt performed these duties for seven years. Enter the demons. They torment Anastasius and tell him to return to his Zoroastrian religion and his calling as a magus. Naturally, Anastasius refuses, being supported by the abbot of the monastery, and shortly afterwards begins his travels, sojourning in Caesarea, Palestine, where he goes to pray at the church of St. Euphemia, a significant detail since she was the patron saint of the Council of Chalcedon. Along the way, he encounters a group of magi performing their rites in the house. To them, Anastasius says, Why are you astray and leading others astray by your acts of sorcery? And in reply, the magi ask him not to divulge their secrets to anyone. Possibly this encounter is the catalyst for Anastasius' arrest and three-day incarceration by Persian soldiers and his subsequent trial before the Marzaban, or governor, who insists that he reject Christ and prostrate himself in the manner of the Persians. The prisoner refuses to do either. The ensuing interrogation is as follows. The Marsban says, Where are you from? Who are you? Anastasius replies, I am a true Christian, but if you wish to know also from where I come, I am a Persian by birth. I was a soldier and a magus. I left the darkness and have come into the light. The Marsban said, Leave this error, return to your first religion, and we shall give you horses, silver, and protection. This is the first of several occasions when the martyr refuses to reject Christ. 
a tenacity that is probably meant to contrast with the Apostle Peter's three denials of Christ. Anastasius' smart talk enrages the Marsman, who incarcerates him in a garrison where he is forced to transport rocks while being chained to another prisoner and bearing chains around his neck and feet. Upon being beaten and interrogated, for the second time the martyr refuses to deny Christ, an act which culminates in the Marsman's order for him to take the instruments of the Magi, in particular the collection of sacred lengths of wood used in Zoroastrian fire worship and to sacrifice upon which Anastasius provocatively asks what god he is supposed to sacrifice to, the moon, fire, a horse, the mountains, the hills, or the rest. There follows a third confession of the Christian faith by Anastasius. In prison, he says psalms all night and is observed by a Jewish prisoner who has a vision of angels around the martyr-to-be and communicates this to another prisoner, a Christian governor of Scythopolis. When, for the fourth time, Anastasius refuses to deny Christ, the Marsban announces that the Shah has ordered the recalcitrant to be taken to Persia, and accordingly Anastasius and two other Christians, presumably of Persian origin, leave Caesarea with one of the monks. The deportees, we are told, were farewelled by citizens, Christians, Persians and others, a detail no doubt intended to reinforce in the reader's mind the impact which as an ex-Zoroastrian Anastasius had in a foreign country. On the way back to Persia, the entourage and its escort travelled through Hierapolis and then possibly the Nisibis before arriving at Destagurt, the residence of Shah Chosroes II, north of modern Baghdad. During his interrogation by one of the Shah's officials, Anastasius refuses to speak Persian and also for the fifth time to deny Christ, despite on this occasion again being promised high honours, golden belts and horses. The rest of the hagiography encompasses the saint's sixth refusal to deny Christ, his removal to another person, and finally his execution just before the Byzantine Emperor Heraclius arrived in Persia on campaign on the 1st of February 628, where the hagiographer, who had been sent by the abbot of the monastery in Palestine to accompany the martyr, addressed him in Greek. After travelling back to Byzantium through Armenia with the emperor, a journey which is said to have taken one year, the hagiographer brought back one of the martyr's tunics to Anastasius' monastery in Palestine, where, we are told, it effected a miracle. The writer of the martyrdom of Anastasius the Persian was, as we have said, apparently an intimate of the martyr. In addition, as we are told that he was Greek-speaking, this goes some way in explaining the structure of the work, because the author was acquainted with the tropes of martyrs' acts. These tropes included the repeated interrogation by an official, usually a pagan or at least someone hostile, the questions to the accused persons about their provenance and religion, the demands to sacrifice, details of the torture of the condemned, and so on. Unlike most other hagiographical works of this period, that concerning Anastasius had a different goal, namely responding to religious conflict between Christianity and Zoroastrianism. In this account, as in the near-contemporary life of George of Chorzobah, the preoccupation of the writers is the Persian menace, and the usually all-dominating Council of Chalcedon is in the background. Although, from reading between the lines, it becomes clear that Anastasius was a convert to the Chalcedonian faith, 
and to its monastic life. The Persian Empire would soon after meet its demise, conquered by the Muslims. Iran, the successor state of the Persian Empire, is today a Muslim dictatorship. The Zoroastrian religion still exists, but in very small numbers. There are more than one million Christians in today's Iran, most of whom are from the country's ethnic Armenian minority. Ethnic Persians who convert to Christianity face severe persecution as they did in the days of St. Anastasius. Let us read an account of the Christian persecution in Iran from the website of Open Doors, an organization dedicated to helping persecuted Christians. Almost everyone in Iran is Muslim. There are believed to be about 1.2 million Christians in a population of more than 86 million. Iran is ruled by an increasingly strict Islamic regime which views the existence of Iranian house churches as an attempt by Western countries to undermine Islam and their authority. Christians who have converted from Islam face the greatest risk. Iranian Christians may be banned from education, lose their jobs, and find it very difficult to get back into employment. For women, the situation is even more precarious because Iranian law grants women few rights. If discovered as a Christian, they are likely to be violently punished or divorced by their husbands and have their children taken away from them. There is an ancient history of Armenian and Assyrian Christians in Iran. These are protected by the state, but treated as second-class citizens. They are not allowed to let Christians from Muslim backgrounds attend their services, nor are they allowed to worship in Persian, the national language. It's no surprise that many Iranian believers feel forced to leave Iran and try to start a new life elsewhere. When people from Muslim backgrounds become Christians, they can only meet in secret house churches. They are at great risk of being monitored, harassed, arrested, and prosecuted for crimes against national security, an accusation that is notoriously poorly defined and can be abused. Ali grew up in a Muslim family. He was in the grips of a drug addiction when he met Jesus in a dream. After speaking to various people, he eventually chose to risk everything to follow Christ, and so did his wife, Zahra. That's when the persecution began. In Iran, when someone becomes a Christian, their family becomes defensive, he explains. The family rejects the person. If someone like me becomes a Christian, I am seen as defiled. My life is considered filthy by them. Ali and Zahra lost all their friends and were disowned by their families. When their new faith became more widely known, Ali lost his job. But as everyone and everything fell away, their love for Jesus only grew. They joined the ministry team of a network of underground house churches. And that's why, like many house church leaders, they were arrested. Once imprisoned, the couple lived in separate cells and endured days of interrogation. They asked questions about other believers, says Ali. Their goal was to identify underground churches. They wanted to infiltrate the churches. And it wasn't just verbal abuse. During the interrogation, I was beaten a lot. 
Since I was blindfolded, I couldn't tell where the punches would land. Even after being released, Ali and Zahra faced constant harassment. Ali was fired from every job he got, and his sons were not allowed to go to school. Every day was suffering and torture, he says. In the end, the family had to flee Iran, the country and home that they love. But their faith has remained strong. It doesn't matter where we are from, Ali adds. The only thing that matters is that we are part of the same body. When we were in solitary confinement, the only thing that strengthened us was prayer. Only God can go to those dark places. Persecution has worsened slightly in Iran. The amendment and tightening of the penal code in the year 2021, which is also used to prosecute Christians, continues to be part of a wider development towards Iran becoming a totalitarian state. State surveillance is on the rise, and the authorities are exerting an increasing grip on daily life and activities, an attitude reflected in the harsh responses to the protests that followed the death of Masa Amini in September of 2022. St. Anastasius' feast day is on January the 22nd in both the Eastern and Western Church. St. Anastasius, pray for us and pray for the persecuted Christians of Iran. Thanks for listening to the Christian Saints Podcast. Look for the Christian Saints Podcast page on Facebook or Instagram, or find us on Twitter at podcast underscore saints. All music in this episode was composed by my good friend, James John Marks of Generative Sounds. Please check out his music at generativesoundsjjm.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use so more people can find the Christian Saints podcast and be blessed by these stories of God's saints. Let us end by reading the Troparion for St. Anastasius the Persian, which is sung and read on his feast day on January the 22nd in the Eastern Orthodox Church. Your holy martyr Anastasius, O Lord, through his suffering has received an incorruptible crown from you, our God. And having your strength, he laid low his adversaries and shattered the powerless boldness of demons through his intercessions. Save our souls.